Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, it's Bond time. James Bond time. We watched Goldfinger from 1964, but before we get started talking about it, how was your week? It's been three days since the last time we recorded. Two days. days, And it's been lovely. (laughs) I've had a good time. A lovely couple of days. How was your three days? Well, I'm going to expand it out. This uh, episode will come out after Labor Day weekend. Okay. So we will have had a three-day weekend, which will have been lovely, even though I will have been sitting and thinking... This is when freelance is bad, because you and Stephanie are going to be paid for the barbecue that we have. I will not be paid for the barbecue that we have, so got to make it up mm. in some other way. Um, so hopefully it was good. We played games and ate meat. I mean, we live with a carnivore, so we always eat meat, but you know what I'm saying. We're on descending scales of carnivorousness here. Well, she's gone full carnivore. She is full I carnivore. Mean, she practically bays at the moon. I, on the other hand, am somewhere closer to carnivore, but at the same time, not quite. I will no, have because you and I like dessert. Not just a vegetable. You want a carb. You want a tortilla. Want, you want a piece of bread. You want some not just that. I also potatoes. Want you want <laughs> dessert. Yes, and dessert, cake, I'm cookies. Not going to give up on dessert. Pies I, I of the sweet not. variety. Not going to give up on wine. I know. Yeah. I am not. And then it's like you're more the most omnivorous. I think I'm an omnivorous. I'm an omnivorous. Well, I tried to make a podcast called Nomnivore, and I still like that name. I think we should do it. Well, it's a whole thing, and we already have two. All right, are we going to get started? Are we ready to get started? Okay, so everybody, I would like to give everyone just a brief, quick update, because you were worried about watching this movie with me. Yes, I was. So you were concerned that I was going to sit in my wokeness and stew, I Mm. think is basically what you were concerned about. You didn't think I would like it because of the mores of the time. (laughs) And uh, I will say I really only had problem with one piece um, in relation to that. Uh, most of the time, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. It was super fun. <laughs> it was super fun. I, I'm so Daniel Craig is the only James Bond I've ever seen, and I've seen right. all of his versions. Those movies are fucking serious. Yes. They are serious. Mm-hmm. They are films, and you will take them seriously. This is not that. This is a movie. <laughs> This is a movie that understands it's a movie, and it's like, we're going to entertain you some, with some nonsense. It felt fast on the furiousy in the way mm-hmm. in that way to me. Not that I'm, I'm not, I would never say, first of all, that this ripped off the Fast and the Furious, because that's impossible. But I mean, a movie that is made with the understanding that it is entertainment. The, the Bond, uh, and, and so that's. Yes. Yeah. So overall, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed the movie. I, I, it was not a bad experience. We'll, we'll get to the point where I, the, the one part where I was like, "Don't love this. Don't love this look." But um, for the most part, especially with the relation relationships, mm-hmm. um, the people who kissed James Bond seem to. Uh, legitimately want to kiss him (laughs) and then that so that's fine i am not 
anti no no kissing. I don't, that is not there what are it is. moments that in the film that I was concerned where because frankly James Bond Sean Connery looking the way Sean Connery looks in this movie would come up to me and I would be down to kiss him <laughs> we don't actually need to talk it's, very, it's fine I, 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 I don't know if I, I've mentioned this story in the podcast before but uh, I had a friend who was uh, she was a young woman who was uh, working as a school psychiatrist at the school I worked at and um I mean, thank you for your service. <laughs> she was, this is always working for Oakley Unified, and she told me a story about how a couple of years before she was at, um, a, somewhere around Pier 39, one of the restaurants here in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And that, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's these cement floors, they just sort of wash off at the end of the day. Oh, yes. And, um, the solution for this are these oddly, these, Rubber mats with hexagonal yes. holes cut out of them, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, you'll also see them in kitchens. Right. Uh, because they are both better for your body to stand on, mm-hmm. and they allow water, wet, to fall through and not make it slippery. Right, exactly. Yeah. So th- that was the, the whole idea. Um, but she was going out to friend, uh, going out to a dinner with a friend of hers, and she was wearing heels. And her heel caught in mm-hmm. one of these holes, and she flew. She was a tiny thing, but she flew, and then somebody caught her. And she at first was, like, a little disoriented, and then she looks up, and she's looking into the face of Sean Connery. Aha, the best. Doing the, uh, he was doing the rounds for The Rock at the time. Okay. Ooh, that's my favorite Sean Connery <laughs> look. The Rock? He looks good. In the <laughs> and so she said that, that beard is on. <laughs> she just stumbled through trying to say something for a couple of uh-huh. minutes, and he thought she was seriously hurt. So he's but, like, oh, "Are you all right?" And, <laughs> and she's like, "Bond or something." Yeah, right. He kind of laughs and he helps her to her seat because he's also a very big guy. He's like six three or something, six two, six three. Yeah. So he. So he very much is that kind of character. Um, but yeah, yeah, he apparently has an effect on people. He's one of those yeah, guys. Yeah. Uh, during it, the making of the entire You get that through the movies, right. and that if that's the case, it's almost always way stronger in person. Well, yeah, through the making of, uh, during the making of the Untouchables, Kevin Costner talked about how in the beginning they all got excited, the, the four guys who, you know, yeah. Played him and Andy Garcia and Charles Martin Smith, um, because they were going to get to work with Sean Connery, right? And it was a huge and at that deal. point they're boys who were raised that he was Bond, right? Because right? they're all significantly younger than him, right? But they're all yes, they all think of him as James Bond, yeah. So he was the coolest guy on yeah. the set, even at his advanced age when he and he went on to win an Academy Award for that part too. Yes, so. Yeah. That's yeah. I I actually I watched the films when I was a kid, and they were always on television edited. And then I really got into write, reading the books. Oh, interesting. Books. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. As a result, I got to watch the films again, and this time I bought a lot of them, and they were unedited, and I got to see all sorts of uh, sides to the character. There's um the fil- the books are more 
are closer to what Daniel Craig has done with the character. More serious. They're more serious at times. But I will say, because mm-hmm. you have shown me some of the writing about food. Yes. He's very descriptive about food, and that is a big part of the of of the books. They're not very long. Right. So when he just dedicates two pages to describing this meal, mm-hmm. it's important right. to him. And this movie actually has yes. the remnants of a meal. You actually don't see any meals. Y'all, this movie moves at a clip. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, and yeah. this was part of really... Um, Nobody eats or pees. No. Other bodily functions lots of times, but <laughs> this film really set up for that, there's Dr. No from Russia with Love, which is one of my favorites. Because it's deathly serious. Um, but still entertaining. Both of those films were. This film set up the amount of humor that they would use in the series going forward. It set up a bunch of the tropes that become known in James Bond films. Okay. You know, tying the hero up and him and the villain exchange barbs. Yes, right. Where, yes, wherein the villain describes the whole. Gone to a self defeating end now. I mean, of course, that's the thing. Like, and it's circled back around to why would I tell you what my plan is? There's the sacrificial uh, female uh, character. Yeah. Who, um, up until this point, the first two films, he actually had a steady girlfriend. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they were going to try to continue that, but then... He, his body counts in this movie, and I don't like that term, mm-hmm. but I'm going to use it in this count context because we're talking about fictional characters, yeah. uh, is four, mm-hmm. four women that he... Yeah, I think... It, it, at least kisses and probably does everything, right. all, all the way, A through C with. Roald Dahl <laughs> and Alphas ta- and Omegas. <laughs> Roald Dahl wrote the screenplay for one of the Bond films after this. Mm-hmm. You only lived twice, and he talked about how between Goldfinger, and it was just Goldfinger, Thunderball, you only lived twice. By the time that he approached it for you only lived twice, they already gave him a rundown. You're going to have two female characters in the film. One of them is going to be the sacrificial victim. The other one's going to be with him at the end. Interesting. That and is then, not what ends up happening right, in, in, this in this one. one. And but by then they'd already. They'd uh, put it together a formula for making these movies, and yeah. that's what the the by the time that we reach Daniel Craig's part, they're it's trying different to break too. The yeah, formula. they don't they use women mm-hmm. differently in right. the Daniel Craig movies. I won't say that they don't use women because that would be a lie, but they mm-hmm. use them differently to two different effects. But they are fringed quite a few, quite a bit. They are often motive. Their death is motivation right. for our hero, which sucks. <laughs> but, um, so we start with the cold open because this is a James Bond movie, and which even back then, here. They, oh, is this, this the first is the one? First time okay. anyone's ever done a cold open. Okay, so first of all, this movie came out uh, September seventeenth, nineteen sixty four. So we're mm. coming up on its birthday. Right, happy birthday! It's uh, almost sixty. Nope, fifty eight years. Fifty eight years old. Wow. It was directed by Guy Hamilton. Who edited uh, The Third Man. Oh, one of the interesting. On that film, and yeah. then he directs 22 films, four of which are James Bond right. films. Uh, written by Richard Malbum and Paul Den, based on, of course, the book Goldfinger mm-hmm. by Ian Fleming. Some 
some of these are not based off like the titles are not books, no. right? Like Quantum of Solace is not the book. Mm-hmm. A book Quantum title. of Solace is a short story that had nothing to do with the actual. With that, what what they yes. did, yeah, yeah, okay. film. and starring. We'll get to the different people that we we'll, we get to, but we'll start with it starts with uh, Sean Connery as James Bond. Everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's uh, 007, and he does say his name one time, only one time as Bond, James Bond. <laughs> so uh, he uh, sneaks up with a fake, like a bird decoy on his head. Right. He sneaks up to what I'm going to presume is an island, uh, knocks out his stuntman, you said, the... the uh, right, Bob Simmons, the stuntman. <laughs> who comes back later in a different part. several times in this film. <laughs> and is still acting as Bond's stuntman, right. so and more than you probably yes, think. Yes, it's very funny. I made the mistake of thinking that he was the same guy who attacks him in the hotel room later. Oh, it wasn't. It's off joint who did that. Okay. Because Bob Simmons, they... Well... Let's go on with the story. Okay, it's fine. Okay. So he uh, sneaks into this uh, guarded area, Mm -hmm. um, opens a trapped door, goes into this very well-appointed sort of... uh, It's a lair. Mm Y'all, it's a lair is what it is. It's hidden inside of what looks like a water tank. It looks like a water tank or or like a silo or something like that. Yeah, something more agricultural than um, military, military certainly, and residential even more. Uh, And he sets a a big, gooey mess (laughs) of plastic plastic. explosives (laughs) and a 20-minute timer, and then he bounces... Uh, then we see him getting, he, he swims away and then he gets out and he gets uh, under the romper he had been wearing. He's wearing a white tuxedo right. jacket. Under his swimsuit. He under his, yes. just a dinner jacket. <laughs> which is one of the outfit. funniest images, I think, in the film, frankly. And then he is, uh, goes to the bar on the island and as he's walking in, there's a big kabloom kablawi. And then he keeps walking into the restaurant as everybody else is walking out, making him not look suspicious at all. And uh, he is basically like, they say, you know, thanks for your work. Uh, There's a flight to Miami in an hour. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. But I have a stop to make. And then he does make that stop at a lady's house. And then he does kiss on her a whole bunch. Then she is looking behind she's her eyes are open not closed mm-hmm. when you kiss james bond your mouth your eyes are closed well, she's if setting, your eyes are open it means right. that you are duplicitous you're setting a trap for him. <laughs> and a uh, man tries to sneak in and attack but of course james bond realizes that this girl's eyes are open and therefore duplicitous and he does escape them both that is lady number one villain lady from Latin American country, unnamed, unnamed. And uh, then he flies to Miami. <laughs> That's it. And then we get the Goldfinger song. That's the cold open. It takes four minutes, maybe? It's ve- This movie... Those, those current James Bond movies are three hours long, and... Right. If they moved at the clip that this one this one moved at, the amount of things that happen in the new ones, they'd be in and out in like eighty five minutes. <laughs> I think one of the things that makes Sean Connery's character likable, yeah, 
is his sort of almost like realizing this is all really ridiculous. I can't do these things. No one can. And y'all, here's a thing that I kept saying. This was my kind of one pet peeve. Right. This motherfucker is terrible at his job. He's super bad at his job. He keeps getting... The people keep getting the drop on him. Like, he has no spatial awareness or self-preservation instinct at all. None. Zero. I'm just like, this motherfucker is so dispendable. Like, at at this point, it is crazy that he makes it all the way through. Because he just doesn't, he is not careful. Yeah, he's... he's In in any way. (laughs) He does a thing where when he first... There's a, a dancer who's entertaining this crowd in this uh, cantina. Yes. And um, and he's the one he's come for, essentially. He knows that she's going to set him up, maybe. I don't know. Yes. So he interrupts her in the bath, and then she talks him into taking off his shoulder holster. And he has a line where she's like, why do you wear that thing? It's like, well, it's to cover a slight inferiority complex. That's right, she does, hysterical, yes. right? Yeah. Coming from this character. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, that makes his character likable. Yeah. It's the fact that he's poking fun at himself he, all the He time. knows. There are big winks at the audience right. without actually doing a fourth wall break. Right, exactly. But they know what they're doing. Yes. They named a character in this movie Pussy Galore. They knew what the Which fuck is, they were doing. That was, apparently there was an issue with naming Pussy Galore, Pussy Galore. I wonder. It's not because a name. it's in the, <laughs> the uh, that's the character's name in the book. And so the question becomes, can we get away with that? Yes, but no one in the book is, li- he literally calls her pussy to her face <laughs> like 14 times. Sean Connery says pussy so many times in this movie. It's bananas <laughs> and every time he does it <laughs> I can't believe it's happening <laughs> like, I, I mentioned this to you too there was a very funny interview he did with Jay Leno on the time uh-huh. show where he's where Jay Leno is trying to get Sean Connery to teach him how to say pushy pushy the way he does yes. it right because it's always imploring every right. time he says it it is because she is doing something like holding him at gunpoint. And he is just has this tone in his voice like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> but he's trying to tell Jay Leno, and Jay Leno's trying to get it done, and Sean Connery tells him, and I don't know if it was conscious or unconscious, you have to get your tongue around it. Yes. And it was course, 100% like, conscious. A, one woman in because the audience just like screamed, thing. possibly fainted. It was pretty funny. Sean Connery is many things. Uh-huh. A stupid man oh, is God. not one of them. Right. Um, you know, I have heard that he is not maybe the nicest. He was not the nicest person. Mm-hmm. Um I bet, depending on who you were, he could be absolutely the nicest person. Right. But... What he definitely wasn't was a fool. He knew exactly what he was saying. Um, yeah, no, that's a that's something that occurred to him very early, and he was like, "Can't wait to say it on the <laughs> TV show." 
Uh, but yeah, he said, oh, he says it so many times. It's so upsetting. Uh, so we're in Miami. Is this the first time Bond's ever been to Miami? Or like uh, the, the United the States? film series, let's see. I can't remember the order of the books. I uh-huh. think he has been, yes, in the books he's been to the United States before. In the film series, I believe this is the first one that took place here, um, where he actually visited American soil. Because gotcha. I think the beginning of Dr. No has a rocket being toppled at Cape Canaveral. Oh, okay, but Dr. he's no not before. there. Gotcha. Yeah, so he's going to be in the U.S. for the entirety of this movie, I believe, from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, meets with Felix Leiter, who, when he came on screen, I said, guess what? You're black now. He said that's Miss Moneypenny, too. She comes in later. I probably will skip over it. She's only in the movie for like a half a second. Um, he is basically assigned by Felix and M to scope out this dude, Auric Goldfinger. And he <laughs> he's given almost no information at that point. Just mm-hmm. check him out. And so Bond just decides to break into his room and then... Well, there's a reason why. Well, okay. He, Okay. This guy, Goldfinger, who's yes. played by Gert Frobe, he he plays Gin Rummy. He's playing Gin Rummy. Against another opponent all the time with a great, really high stakes. Yes, bananas high stakes, yeah. Bond notices that he has an, an earpiece. earpiece, and it's like, well, he's right. that big a sports fan. And no, then, he knows. I understand that. But right. he was the, his job is mm-hmm. observe Goldfinger. Right. His job is not break into Goldfinger's room, find out how he's cheating, and the way that he's cheating is he's got a woman with some binoculars mm-hmm. looking down into the courtyard where they're playing, feeding him his opponent's cards right. on like a walkie-talkie, like on a radio, and he takes the thing away from him, forces Goldfinger to lose the round. And then seduces his assistant. <laughs> you look with your eyes. <laughs> his job was observe Goldfinger, not put yourself in Goldfinger's ear. He's mm-hmm. now heard your voice. And he hadn't seen him yet. He though, hadn't seen him at that point. Yes, no. The 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 person who ends up seeing him is, of course, Odd Job, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic lackey name. So good. But, uh, yeah, he, they said observe him, and he decided to basically, um, what's the word? Not I guess out himself right. as an opponent, if not, uh, you know, some sort of federal agent, not our federal, but federal, if not as, yeah, law enforcement, mm-hmm. at least as an opponent to you, an adversary to you, because I have forced you to lose this game, and then also, like I said, stolen your woman, who she says he pays me to do this, and he pays me to be seen with him, and he and Bond, of course, like gets on top of this woman because, of course, he does, and says, "Is that all he pays me for, or, or you for?" And she's like, "That's all," because uh, she is not apparently a sex worker, but she will be having sex with James Bond. Right now, guys. Her name is Jill Masterson, and she goes with him immediately. (laughs) I have to say that, as as uh, again having um, 
seen it with you this time, that he, uh, they really cast these movies really well. Mm -hmm. Because both in his, in her case, Shirley Eaton, who's also, you know, became an actress later on, who, unfortunately, what happens to her uh, in the film. Yeah. uh, That unfortunate incident becomes like the. Of the four women, Mm -hmm. we know three of their names. But only one of them lasts more than two scenes. Right. So. She. um, (laughs) We never see the woman from the beginning again. Right. So now we're at Jill Masterson. Uh, You were saying. Well, she. um, There's a great deal of chemistry between her and Sean Connery. There is. Honor Blackman also talks about how much fun they had in yeah. the film. It's like, let's just roll over in the hay some more. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they spent a lot of time doing that. But um, but I think that takes away the strangeness of, didn't he just meet her? He literally met her a minute right. ago, then they're going to go have sex. Now, not only did he meet her a minute ago, what was he wearing when he met her? Oh, my God. It's my favorite outfit of the whole movie, but um, you were like, Sean Connery says that he hates this Absolutely thing. Absolutely hates He it. is wearing a baby blue um terry cloth right it's terry cloth uh grown-up onesie it's a romper it is the shortest shorts it is shorter than his boxer briefs Mm -hmm. because you can see the legs of his boxer briefs under this thing very very short which means moose knuckle it's gonna be uncomfortable because the thing about a romper is if your crotch to your shoulders is too long it's uncomfortable. Doesn't matter who you are. It's gonna be uncomfortable. This looked uncomfortable, and it, but it was also like it wasn't like a tank top romper. It was like a short sleeve thing. There were like it was a button up. Right. It had pockets in the in the chest. Like it was it was wild. It was a wild it piece was of clothing. What passed for loungewear? Sure, because he had been wearing just his like his, a yeah. swimwear or or boxer briefs. That's what they look like. They're cut like a boxer brief. Um, because he was getting a massage at the beginning of the scene. From Dink. Because of course he never was. appears in the film. Who never, who never comes back. Uh, oh, Although so she's I mentioned. She is. Maybe she's she's number five, maybe. So he, yeah, he goes and has a real good time with Jill. And that's where we see the In his hotel room. And yeah, we don't, we see them um, in bed after. Mm-hmm. And after, I mean, after it's been at least the next, it's the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had ordered a big, like, like massive fancy dinner to be served in the room. They had gone through it. Like it was just right. remnants of a meal. And then they are in a bed that is totally tussled and, mm. and a mess. And, uh, he and gets they were up, in the same pajamas. Yes. Well, they're the ones that are given. They're the complimentary ones right, from the. But he's wearing hotel. the bottoms and she's wearing yes. the tops. Yes. So that he's they're sharing. They're sharing because they don't. Those are the pieces they need, I guess. Uh, and then uh, he gets up to go get something to drink and gets knocked the fuck out because mm-hmm. he's terrible at his job. Here's, but <laughs> this is interesting because I, I, I wanted to make sure that the story was true. Um, his acting was quite good because he, uh, or you said maybe this is an acting. When he he gets karate chopped in his, it, like between his shoulder blades, mm-hmm. and he convulses in a way that I'm like, that's like the b- thing your body does when you get karate chopped. So, Harold Sakata. Yes. He plays Odd Job. He was a professional wrestler 
and the martial artist that they that uh, was um, that the director Guy Hamilton takes credit for having seen on a Saturday afternoon. He's like a fire plug of a man. He's right. And he basically he moves like a bull. I believe that. Yeah, he really does. When you're watching him uh, later on fighting Bond, he shifts his feet and everything. He's like a judo player. He's just really solid. Um, Sean Connery has a wonderful memory of him. He's a wonderful man. He was very sweet. He was very kind. But he came from a different world. He wasn't a stuntman. Right. So when he clips him with his karate chop, he clips him. Clipped him really hard. He says, I felt that one for weeks. He was injured. He was injured. He was injured. They were during, he was, they stopped filming for a little bit after he got injured in this scene. Um, And then there was some, some fighting over his uh, salary (laughs) at that time. Right. But yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause he, and they, that's the take they used. Right. (laughs) Of course. He, uh, he jerks in that way. That is that, it's in an involuntary right. muscle spasm. And I was like, if you, I just acted it, right? Like, I just, well, I didn't even act it. I forced myself to do it. But yeah, that's, he didn't say what that was his body's reaction. Ooh, because he's terrible at his job. And when he wakes up, poor Jill, she's so shiny and beautiful and dead. She has been covered by this gold paint that if you don't leave a tiny patch of skin showing, you suffocate. Don't right. think about it too hard, everybody. Don't think about anything too hard. This is something that used to happen to go to go-go dancers in the 60s. Uh-huh. They'd get covered paint. As a matter of fact, it's a plot point in the Val Luton film, A Bedlam. Okay. Where one of the uh, Bedlamites is painted with gold paint to represent uh, the page boy for the goddess reason or something, and he falls over dead because... They covered him head to toe. With they paint. say though that all you have to do is leave a little space, and mm. I don't think that's true. Well, in this I case, think if you leave this stuff on for any length of time, you're gonna die. In this if particular it's case, they um, apparently there was a doctor on the set the entire time. Uh huh. Good. And Shirley Eden's midriff was completely bare. Oh, okay, so because so, she's laying face down right, on the bed, and so, so she just, would just it, turn over. Okay. When they were going to take her shot, and she's only seen for a couple. of it's Seconds brief. It's very brief. Because it's a very um, striking image. Right. And that's the image that the entire film is sold on. You look uh, at the posters yeah. and things for that. And they also, they don't want, I don't think, want to, they've already shown, like, this is a dead woman. Right. That we haven't really gotten to know. So you don't want to sort of objectify that body, I think, longer than, even in a silly James Bond movie, mm-hmm. objectify that body yeah. Longer than necessary. You got it. You see what it is. Striking, stark, and now we bounce and we're back in uh, MI6 headquarters um, where they're talking about wh- what happened. And um, it's so funny because this is so, ca- it's so capitalism. Um, they want to, okay, so. Auric Goldfinger, I love that his name is basically Gold Gold. <laughs> Finger. Um, but he, they know he's smuggling gold. They don't know how. Mm. One of the types of gold he's smuggling is Nazi uh, right. gold. They 
they want bought. What's said is this is it doesn't just doesn't make any sense. What's said is if you can figure out how he's transporting the gold, if it's illegal, that's how we can take him down and we can seize his assets. They don't. They're not worried about him being a super villain. They just want his money. <laughs> like it's so crazy to me. But, I mean, that's the way that <laughs> governments like, operate on a large scale. I know it's it is fucking crazy. insane. That's the thing. The thing is, it's not a weird thing. I just now hear it mm-hmm. differently. Right. When I hear something like that, I'm like, that is wild. That a that a government makes it its business, its literal business, because it is using its version of CIA, right? Right. To seize money from a rich man. Like, that's what its business is, that is this week. And we're going to give him a bunch of resources. This is what the introductory, he goes to see, that was when we saw Miss Money Penny mm-hmm. during that scene. And then he goes to see Q and get all of his key gadgets. Nobody questions why the secretary for the head of this special secret branch is an American. (laughs) But (laughs) that's that's fine. I I like Lois Maxwell. I think she is best remembered for this. She really should be remembered for being dr markaway's wife in the original hunting where she oh, was okay, just yeah. such a pain in the ass yeah she's film. she's very good <laughs> excuse me she was the second person i was like hey guess what miss money penny you're black now yeah. <laughs> and that was also felix Leiter. yeah is this circland is also american linder um he's uh, yeah he's supposed to be american he is in the books he's canadian oh really Secklinder. Um, okay. And he's I don't even know what Canada's like like I know what I know MI6. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Canada's right, I mean, anything in, in is. The, in the books he's American. Here he's played by a Canadian actor. Played by a Canadian actor. Um but the relationship with Bond and Lighter never gets caught quite like it is in the books. In the books, Felix Lighter is this tall, thin, red headed Texan who wears his suits too big, who always has a sort of a dirty joke, and but yeah. whenever the business needs to be done, it needs to be done, and he's really good at it. All right. Um, and he's probably the only male friend that Bond has that sticks with him all the time. Uh, right. And so, I think that's, I think it's pretty close. I mean, not character-wise, mm-hmm. because that is right. not a physical description of uh, Jeffrey Wright. Right. But I do think that, their they friends, or the at least better. I think Bond believes them to be friends right. for as long as that holds true. I think true that in the at the time in the sixties, the relationship with the CIA and yeah. the, the organizations like that was actually there was more implicit trust in them because these are the people who got rid of the gangsters. These are the people who yeah. kept communism out of the country. These are the people who um, brought down the, the FBI, brought yeah. down the KKK. Well, that's the thing. The, but was, the other like weird thing uh, for. Um, I don't like the word spy, but mm-hmm. for international agents is we're friends, mm-hmm. but we're also both spies for different countries. Right. So we're never going to have fully aligned interests. interests. No. Never. There will always be some part of everything that we do together 
where one of us would want to do one thing and the other is going to want to do the mm. other thing. And that's going to always cause this weird tension. Um, even when you work with the same shore that there are, you know, people who work together very closely internationally with people, peers come up together, like, and you are friends until you're fucking yeah. not. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it was the, Sean Connery actually, when he did Never Say Never Again, moved to have Bernie Casey as his Felix Slater. And that was the first time a black man got used. Yeah. In that part. Because uh, Ian Fleming certainly has his issues with race. Being yeah. an Englishman who, you know, uh, he was writing in the 50s, and there'll be those issues in the books. Yeah. But what you also get the sense of is that he, he, a lot of his friends were black because he lived in the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's who lives and there. And so there's a... Very, that's black people. Right. And so that there's some of the novels where there's just this very strong relationship between Bond and Poirot, for instance, and Dr. No. Um, and Quaro survives that book, he survives another book, and then he gets killed off in another one. And so when he gets killed off, you really feel it. Yeah. And uh, Or in Promotion with Love, when it's Ali Karimbe, who's a Turk, and who's like really tight with him, and then he gets killed off. So it's almost as if all relationships are disposable to yeah. him, which explains kind which, of his character. It's like One of the ways that you have to live uh -huh. if this is your job exactly. is that everything is disposable to you. It's also not humanly possible over it's long periods healthy. of time it's <laughs> right. not yeah you're not but, you're going to stop being able to be a person that, and here's the thing uh, about his job at least ostensibly it's about being a person yeah like you have to make connections that is your job you you lose that ability the longer you do the job though it's a real right maybe five years and then get the fuck out kind of situation <laughs> but Bond is going to go... Oh, I guess they are in the UK for a little while. They're in Kent. That's he's, true. He's, he basically gets himself placed um, alongside Goldfinger on the golf course. So and now... He's in Switzerland, too, also. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's Goldfinger's country club. Bond is um, paired up with him, and they go... At, they wager, mm -hmm. because... Goldfinger bets on everything. That's like his thing. And he cheats like. And he cheats like. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so they're gonna bet. I think it's like a shilling a hole or something mm. like that. And then as they get into it, as they they get further into the game, um, and this is Bond's like uh, mission, I guess. Uh, he has a, a bar, a five thousand dollar bar, uh, with a Nazi gold stamp on it. Mm. And it's basically they end up upping the stakes to that. Right. And it's Goldfinger's suggestion, and he's staking $5,000. Uh, there's a point where Goldfinger kicks it or hit, puts into, or hits into the rough. Uh, and they keep going, Strict rules, strict rules. <laughs> they keep going, like using strict rules back and forth on each other. Uh, odd job. Oh, that's the other thing. Odd job is on the is, is his caddy. His caddy, and odd job knows 
what the fuck Bond looks like because he right. did knock his ass out. Uh, and Bond knows this the whole fucking time, too. As soon as he sees him, he's like, well, I'm Game's fucked about, here. Right. But let's do this whole 18 holes that seems reasonable. Um, so he uh, he finds Goldfinger's ball, which is like whatever the brand is, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only kind he uses. And odd job drops a ball out of his pants on the side of the fairway. Um, but uh, Bond lets his caddy know, oh no, I'm I'm standing. I know he I know he dropped that ball. I know that's not really his ball because I'm standing on his ball. So he was not he was trying to keep him from finding it, mm. making him have to lose a stroke, I think is what the thing is. But also then he scoops that ball for later wherein he at the end of the game after he has lost he pulls their balls out of the cup Mm -hmm. and he's got a four and the other one is a seven so he um oh he he palmed a seven earlier Mm because he had said this is your ball and he's like no i only use ones and he's like, okay, well, let me hold on to this one till later. And then he says, well, if this is a seven. You must have hit the wrong ball somewhere on that last hole. And by strict rules, that means that you lose the, I think it's the point or like the hole and the whole round. <laughs> like, and uh, nothing Goldfinger could say to that. What do you feel about that scene? That set piece, because it really, at this point, they're now set pieces. Yes, this is set piece. This is the right. golf set piece. Um, it was weird. And it was weird largely because the whole time you're like, well, what does Oddjob, what has Oddjob said to Goldfinger about mm-hmm. the dude that's here? That was the guy I found with Jill. Right. So then, of course, Goldfinger recognizes the voice from the one over the radio that told him to lose a bunch of money. So now he wants money out of him. But also, like, we never, I don't think, hear what uh, Bond's aliases are. What do they think he is? He's got Nazi gold. They don't automatically presume that this motherfucker is with the feds or MI6 or whatever. In the books. He has an alias, Mark, I forget his last name, and he works for an international import-export business. See, that's stupid. James Bond should be the alias's name, and he should have a cover. James Bond should be the international playboy. He should be able to be in all these places, because guess what? I said before, and I'll say it again, this motherfucker bad at his job. If his job is to blend in, never, not a day in his goddamn life... (laughs) I don't. I don't think he's that bad. But then again, he's terrible. I, it's like he's constantly getting captured because that's what the story demands of it at this point. And yeah, it's not even just it's it. Mm. He just doesn't have any. He's not using his eyes to look around. Even when his job is observe this dude, the no, last thing he does, he does observe is observe this dude. Things. He first does. of all, he when he gets a check written out to. A check read not to him to cover the amount yeah. of um, the wager mixed with Goldfinger. Yeah. He notices his role's phantom. Yes. Yes. Which is a plot point. Which is a plot point. Uh, 
And then, of course, we get the demonstration of... And then, uh, he, yeah, Goldfinger at that point, as he's handing him the check, is like, I know who the fuck you are. You're going to stay the hell away from me. Also, have you met Oddjob? Look at this cool trick he can do. At which point, Oddjob takes off his little bowler hat and throws it at a thing. And we've got a real uh, Avengers situation going right. on. He's got a steel brim, at the very least, in his hat. I know... Um, he had chainmail. He had chainmail through it, so it was right. like a... It was like a solid... Like a helmet. Right. Right. But this is a weapon. This is an offensive weapon. Uh, and then Bond's like, cool, cool, cool. I will be following your ass to Switzerland. Do, 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 do. Well, yeah. And then <laughs> after that, I believe, is when Oddjob smashes one of the golf balls in his hands. He does. He turns it into dust, which is, that is crazy. Right. Like, throwing the hat is like, you know, it's threatening, but mm-hmm. the hat's now over there. Right. You crushed that ball like, in your I, I, hand. I don't need the hat. That's <laughs> insane. It's in the book. Yeah. Um, one of the funny asides that I took away from the actual book, this was 1958, I think, when he wrote the book, as opposed to 64 when he produced the film. As a matter of fact, um, Ian Fleming died a month before the film was released, but he got to visit the set a lot. He made a habit of visiting the sets of these movies. Um, he, in the book, Oddjob is one of a handful of black belts from around the world. And this was oh, a lot of people in the West, their introduction to karate. Yeah. It's like, well, he's a karate. What's that? It's like a he's specialized a... kind of judo that only uses blows, whatever. And he, he misinterprets everything, right? Yeah. Because um, he's a white man who right. didn't ask for help. And then later on, he winds up, I guess he and Fleming in real life, goes to Japan and discovers, oh, shoot, I was really, really I'm wrong. really wrong about all those things, and I could have just right. asked somebody who knew about it. Why would I do that? That's ridiculous. All right, we're in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. We're driving up, I guess, a mountain. It's a very loopy, and it's very... Um, it's a scenic route curvy and it's very green it's quite beautiful mm-hmm. um and as he's driving he's try oh, one of the things he got from q is uh well he got the aston martin so he's driving the aston An martin aston martin it has everything bulletproof windows and it has an ejector seat passenger seat and it has uh, oil you can squirt out the back and it has um scary like uh blades that come out of its tires and then it also has machine guns in its front i think that's everything mind you if the car really had all of these things it would not be able to move (laughs) it's very heavy i would i will i will say the same thing about that phantom here in a minute um and so he's trailing him oh and the other thing he got was a tracking device Mm -hmm. which he can put in his own shoe so that they could track him. They, he does that later. Or there's like a big chunky one that's magnetic that he's trying to put on the Phantom so that they can track Goldfinger's right. movement, which is crazy because it's a Rolls-Royce Phantom 3 with a very distinctive paint design. Y'all can find this. But this, I guess, is before there were cameras everywhere. Yeah. So, okay, fine. Put a tracker on it. Uh, and as... He's going, he is tailed by a lady with a gun, and he does break her. She she gets above him, and he gets above 
Goldfinger, and as he has pulled over and is observing observing him. Goldfinger, yes, finally observing Goldfinger from like the next hill up or whatever, then she's above him and she fires her weapon at his feet, it turns out, but she was aiming at Goldfinger. She's not a very good shot. So then he drives up and then he does use those scary blades on her car and destroys two two of her tires and then offers to drive her to a hotel. Um and she gets in the car with him, which is nuts, with her gun case and her suitcase, and he takes her to like a body shop or something, and she's gonna deal with it. Like they're gonna go out the next day or whatever, and he leaves her there. She's gonna come back, you guys. Um, does he does he find out that it's Tilly then? He finds out it's Tilly afterward. Oh, okay, because, it's in the uh, yeah. the second part. So well, we'll we'll tell you now. It's Tilly Masterson, Jilly Masterson's sister, and he she's here to shoot Goldfinger for taking her sister away from her. She doesn't. She she he says that. She, he knew her sister. He doesn't say that he might have maybe caused her death because he might have maybe caused her death. Well, what we learn about Goldfinger is he's a very odd character, particularly in context of the film. Yeah. He he's sort of vulgar in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is that he likes having these really beautiful women like yes. Jill Masterson and yeah. like Pussy Galore around yeah. him all the time. Yeah. He doesn't seem to interfere with them in any way. I think yes. It's, it's almost as if... At least not that we see. Right. That he wants to be seen with these women in his company. And it's almost... At, at both times when he asks both Jill and he asks um, Pussy later on. <sighs> that's her name. So um, I guess that's what we have to call her. She... I just think of like it's a, so upset. a cat. <laughs> uh, that... They don't say that he's hitting on them. He's doing any of that. It's like he's very focused on what he wants. He he's fascinated by gold. That's that's like literally mania, it. Yeah, actual mania. Yeah. Although he's yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get into it. So he drops off uh, Tilly and drives off to go continue tracking mm-hmm. uh, Goldfinger, and he they've. Get into the refinery. It's a, and he's talking to a Chinese nuclear physicist, Doctor Ling, and that's when we find out that he incorporates gold into the bodywork of the Rolls Royce. Y'all, that thing was not sitting low enough to have as much gold as he says. Basically, he says they remake the frame out of gold, and that's and he just drives it back and forth, uh, three three or four times a year. But once again, it is not sitting low enough on the frame. Those right. tires would be put upon. Which later, he does a thing where he fills like a, a basket with gold in the back of a car, and that car doesn't look like it has any extra weight in the trunk of it, and it would, yeah. it would. Um, so he, so now Bond, he he did he learned the thing he was supposed to learn. Check that out. That's Bond being good at his job. He also overhears Mr. I was Lee. just about to say. He is also talking about something called Operation Grand Slam. But he doesn't hear what it is, just that it is a thing. And then, of course, Tilly shows back up 
with her gun and chaos ensues um, that ends up killing Tilly. So Bond did not sleep with this woman because they only knew each other for like a half an hour, something like that. Um, and yeah, odd job kills Tilly with his lethal hat. That's what the Wikipedia says, which is us. Uh, insane sentence. Yeah, I like the fact that when you watched it, he like throws the hat and literally breaks your neck. Yeah. And you're like, why didn't your head come up? But I'm thinking, this isn't a hammer phone. Well, you not know, to like, mention, but, but the right. way that he showed the strength of the hat right. before was he threw it at a and statue and beheaded it. So I'm saying... If this was a hammer film, her head would have come off. I'm pretty and, sure her head would have come off if he hit air the same way right. that he hit that statue. I exactly. just don't think my head is staying attached when a marble statue came apart. But one just, thing that you probably noticed about this film, along with a lot of the lot of Bond. Bond films, they were trying to get a wide enough audience to where yeah. they wouldn't. So there's not she's a lot She's dead, of but she's not like... That's and why also you also the don't... the same respect for the corpse that yes. they had with her sister, yeah. which is, I don't want to see a dead we, woman Right, like that. exactly. That's, we're not using yeah. her for, yeah, for titillation, which is nice, because... Frankly, it would be real easy to do that, and mm-hmm. so I appreciate that they did. Um, and then Bond is captured, and this is where the famous line happens, and I was so right. excited. And Bond is strapped to a table, and there's a laser, you guys, a laser. <laughs> They're so dangerous. Nobody knew what a laser was in 1964. What he has they? to explain what a laser is. He literally defines what it is. He has to explain. I was watching a, a documentary on the making of the film, and John Steers, the at the time the documentary was made, John Steers and um, the special effects guy, and, um, some of the other designers on the film were uh, still alive. They said, "Oh yes, we we got a laser for the film. We actually had a laser, and then we realized it doesn't produce any light whatsoever. It's invisible." <laughs> yes, that's sort of the whole thing. I'm looking up the history of the laser. Uh. Like, 1957. So, yeah, it's less than a decade old. That's a baby. That's a baby thing that has happened. And so it is coming up the middle. And he explains, yes, it cuts metal. It cuts anything in half. It could reach the moon, which is a lot. It'll project a light on the moon, yeah. Which Which you can do even with... Right. Like, it's not a function of size. It's a function of that, like, that like light emission mm. like the little pocket lasers pointers right those will go that'll that'll do the moon thing too which is crazy um so he uh he's getting this thing's coming up towards his junk because he's like spread eagled on this table and after goldfinger you know set it describes what a laser is he's like all right late <laughs> And Bond is like, what, do you expect me to talk? And he's like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> and it's so good because the way he said it is like, no, you dipshit. I don't give a fuck what you have to say. I am in it for this to not see. Interrogation. No, I'm literally leaving. Half, I'm right? not standing. I don't even want to be that close to you when it happens. I'm going over here. I'll be back to see how this worked at the end. Um, but then Bond, like, um, 
basically talks. He's like, well, don't you want to know what I know about Operation Grand Slam? And he's like, uh, no, not really. <laughs> he's going and he's like, yeah, but who have I told? And that's the thing. Like, he basically, Goldfinger's like, okay, fine. I'm not going to cut you in half. But mostly because you tried really hard. Not really because I care that you're so alive. I mean, they give lip service to... MI6 will know, like, will let you check in. Mm -hmm. They won't come looking for you or whatever. But none of that's really true. I don't think a single figure just wants a friend to show off to. Yeah, that's part of what (laughs) makes that, again, that character so strange and interesting. He has a kind of complexity that we don't get with movie villains a lot. Yeah. Like, you don't know what his thing is, but it's something you can. It's an interesting performance. I really admired it much more this time around. Like, oh God, yeah, that that is weird. Yeah, but that line reading, I expected it is so good because he just has so much glee about it. Like, right. what a stupid question you've asked me. Like, and the response is just like, it's like the joy that I would see in like Der- Derek Del Gaudio's face when right. like the audience surprised him. Yes. Like, it was like, oh, this is awesome. Well, this is what I'm here for. Bond has messed with him twice and gotten away with it yeah. by sleight of hand, by whatever. Yeah. Now I have you tied to a yeah. table, yeah. and I'm going to cut you in yeah. half. <laughs> and I don't give a fuck what you have to say. Like, right, exactly. I actually don't. I need literally nothing from you. So, you know, you. I know you think you're cute. I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Sean Connery plays that scene really well, too, because he looks terrified. Man, I... Mm, and there, it's so cheesy to have it going towards his junk. Right. But that's absolutely what he's afraid of. He cares less about death than the fact the first thing he's the first place he's gonna feel it is his balls. <laughs> like, I, I think that in some ways it was practical because if you start with his head, then it just keeps going down the table. Or and he couldn't with, see it coming. Right. There's nothing. There isn't really a fear presence for him in that way. But when it comes like right between his ankles and starts slowly inching yeah. its way up, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. that. Yeah. Especially given that guy. And he's sweating. Right. <laughs> he's just sweating. So then, uh, then we meet Pussy Galore. So Bond is unconscious. He wakes up on He's a on a plane, jet. private jet, wondering where he's at. And Pussy Galore is the pilot She's not piloting right now, but she is the pilot. And she uh, introduces herself. His eyebrow goes somewhere up towards Saturn. Like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And uh, they are headed to California. So he is being, not California, Kentucky. I meant the United States. He is being uh, kidnapped and brought across international water. Like, he, right. they are flying him from Switzerland to Kentucky. Uh, a stud farm. Because Goldfinger lives most of his time on a stud farm in Kentucky. Gross. <laughs> So, it's horses. I thought it could be bulls, but when it was Kentucky, it was clear as racehorses. Uh, and well, because all, that fits in with the fact that he's a gambler. Yes, no, he of course, but also... He gambles very poorly. A stud farm, right. though. Surrounded by pretty things. 
um, I guess, too. Uh, Bond is brought onto the premises and then underneath one of the barns, I think, into this little cell that he promptly breaks out of because the person guarding him also not good at their job. So he uh, he sneaks out and he's sneaking around and he he's sort of in like this underground thing of tunnels underneath all mm. of these barns and other, you know, large buildings above him. And he finds one where there's a current meeting happening between Goldfinger and uh, all the members of the American mob is what it appears to be. That, Pretty racist. That is a scene <laughs> that's duplicated several times in the Bond books. For some reason, Ian Fleming just... he it's, has, um, It reminded me uh, of the scene in Dark Knight in the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. when Joker brings all of the right. mobsters together, right? It's th- that's yeah, based. It's, that's what that was based on. This I'm sure had a real fondness for these scenes where he had this uh, this sort of idea about the American or American organized crime. Yes, having worked in the Secret Service, and he just sort of thought they all they they're all very theatrical. He said at one yes. point, they're goombas. Like right. every one of these motherfuckers has a Pizza or pasta place named after them where they sit all day, every day, just having, you know, conversations, making offers you can't fucking refuse, right. and like eating pasta by the goddamn barrel <laughs> belt. It was so stereotypical. This scene is just watching. inside with full on dark sunglasses all on. Main, many of them. Classically trained English actors doing really broad New York accents. Like, what are you doing there? What's that for? Hey, hey, yeah. mister. Like, yeah, what, what it's you, weird. What the real star of that scene, though, is Ken Adam. Okay. Who is the set designer, one of the production designers, uh-huh. who worked on several of the films, um, who does this amazing set where there's maps that flip down and there's a table that turns into another yes. three-dimensional oh, cool. map. Yeah. It's like he he was an amazing set designer. He started with uh Broccoli, Cubby Broccoli, who yeah. produced the films with Dr. No. And he came back for Goldfinger and then the triumph of his art probably was Thunderball? No, it was no. uh You Only Live Twice, where oh, okay. he had to do the inside of an extinct Japanese volcano where they're kidnapping rockets. And it had a whole working monorail oh, and wow. a working helicopter pad. Oh, wow. It was the largest set ever built outdoors. And then years later, he was asked to do it again for The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. And that's when they built the largest set that ever existed at Pinewood. Oh, okay. And that one had three submarine bays where you could guide Jesus. these submarines in there. Yeah. Submarines it's like are not small. Thinking about, and that also had a working, he had a thing for monorails. I don't know why. <laughs> Because they're a really good design that we don't use enough of. That's why. That's pretty much it, I guess. But yeah, he was an amazing designer, and he loved having... He worked with the mechanical effects people a lot of times to produce these really spectacular kind of parts where, like, tables flip over and walls disappear. So that happens in this one. So yeah, Goldfinger's got all of these different mobsters in in there, and... uh, it turns out every group or or one, he owes every one or pair, depending on whether they came with a buddy, uh, a million dollars. And he's like, I do owe y'all a million dollars. I'll give you your million dollars right now. Or 
you could wait the weekend and you'll have 10 and it'll be 10 million dollars mm-hmm. and uh they're like how the fuck what right. and so he says so here's what i'm gonna do and he does flip that big ass table over and mm-hmm. there is a model replica of fort knox that's in tennessee y'all uh our which is where the united states stores its gold bullion and he basically describes he doesn't say how mm-hmm. but he describes breaking into fort knox and one of the gangsters at that point's like cool 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 i'll take my million dollars and go you dipshit because you cannot break into fort knox Beside it being an extremely fortified place, it is next to, or it is within Fort Knox, which houses 35,000 troops. Right. Like, it's... It's huge. It's massive, and it is highly populated. But they are, and this is where the difference is between the book and the film. Yeah. The idea in both, in the book, really, yeah. is we're going to rob Fort Knox. Right. Oh, Okay. That and is the, the idea, idea in the book. In the film yeah, you, is really is, clever. Is very different. Right. Yes, um, which we'll, we'll get to in just a mm-hmm. second. But yeah, so this one one gangster is like, "I'm taking my money." He's like, "Absolutely, go ahead." They're all like, "You're a pussy," or whatever. Not like that, but different. Um, no, she's pussy. <laughs> You're just a loser. <laughs> and um, th- he's like, "We have to respect his decision," or whatever. So he, they're loading up the back of the rolls with. Ten, one million dollars in gold, and like I said, that chassis does not sag at all. And a million dollars in gold is fucking heavy. So that's like over a ton, I think. Uh, so that was a little insane. But then he gets into the car with Odd Job, and you're like, oh, this isn't gonna this isn't the go way to the airport super well. But before this isn't the way to the airport, we flash back to those other mobsters who are. Being gassed and killed mm-hmm. as we speak, because Goldfinger's not paying anybody anything, fuckers. And then, yeah, this isn't the way to the airport, and Oddjob does kill him, and then does. We do watch him crunch that car up. It's not the rolls. Um, it's it's it was uh, that guy's car. Yeah, um, crunch it in a trash compactor, like a like a like a junkyard compactor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they just showed that to us because nobody would have seen that before. Because I'm just like, yeah. we're watching this for so long. This is like well, real-time crunching the, of this yeah, car. Yeah, it's interesting watching that scene because, weirdly enough, for And I was like, us, isn't there gold in there? Why are you doing that? For those of us who, I mean, or who remember now, that was a really interesting thing to see in a movie. Oh, okay. Then. Uh, it's kind of like uh, we we were in a writers group where one of the writers was uh, discussing wrote a, a piece on the teletype machine I think in um, one of Steve McQueen's films Bullet and how they're all all these characters sit around watching this machine working because it was so fascinating at the time they can just send messages uh-huh. and now that all these years on where everyone just sort of texts whatever their thoughts are no matter how inane it seems ridiculous to be. You know, have four people in the room sitting around here waiting, waiting, excited yeah. for whatever message this machine is going to send us about yeah. our our plot. Yeah. 
So um, Bond sort of sees them get gassed, but as he's le- trying to leave, he gets captured again by Pussy Galore because he's terrible. And uh, he does try and alert the CIA to his whereabouts by planting his homing device in Solo's pocket as mm-hmm. he's leaving. But Solo is the one that's killed by Oddjob and then smushed up in the car cruncher, so that doesn't work but they do bring that back to the estate and mm-hmm. my guess is they got to melt it down and separate the gold out because right. there was well, a million that. dollars in gold yeah, okay well, I, it's like i have to separate my gold from mr solo oh yeah oh god gross <laughs> so upsetting so then uh bond basically is like you can't move that much gold in the amount of time you're gonna have you're gonna have less than two hours and it's gonna it's like 10 tons of gold like the amount of gold yeah. in there there's 10 tons of gold and he's like I'm not I'm not moving it which ding 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 and Bond's like fuck you mean you're not moving it and then he realizes that he puts that together with the Chinese nuclear physicist mm-hmm. Dr. Ling um that China has given him a dirty weapon of some sort, and he is going to uh, detonate inside the vault, making the gold untouchable, literally untouchable. Right. Uh, for decades, I think. What is it, till yeah, like so two thousand fifty-four or something? I like worked that? out a few statistics of my own. Fifteen billion dollars in gold bullion weighs. Uh, 10,500 tons. 10,000 tons. 10,000 tons. 60 yes. men would take 12 days to load it uh, into 200 trucks. Now, at that, at the most, you're going to have two hours before the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines yeah. move in and make you put it back. Right. <laughs> and that's when it's like, he gets it. It's a dirty bomb. It's cobalt. Yeah, cobalt. Right. And it's like the entire supply of the gold in the United States would be radioactive for 57 years. 57. So 58 to be exact. 58, yes. 58 to be exact. So basically that means, and this is when we were still on the gold standard. Mm-hmm. This is not a thing that would matter now. Because now our money is not tied to anything. Uh, it would matter to the gold market. It would matter in other places for sure. But I don't know that it would it would not tank our economy the way that this would tank our economy. So that the Chinese get economic chaos. Economic in the chaos. West. Uh Goldfinger's own stores of Personal gold supply. would become ex- at Ex-way. least ten times more valuable. Yeah. That is why he wasn't gonna give them more gold. He was gonna give them the same gold at a f- way appreciated right. value. But he wasn't going to give them any gold at all, actually, because he doesn't give his gold away. That's not a thing that this man does. No, 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 no. So that is the plan. And that and, and it's hinged on before we go in. The beginning of the plan is he's got Pussy Galore and her trick pilots. There are six total, I think, planes mm-hmm. that are going to drop something called Delta 9 over Fort Knox, which is going to knock everybody out for like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Or I think they say 24 hours. And he's like, Delta 9 is lethal. And Goldfinger's like, not my fucking problem. So th- this is not just 
detonating a dirty bomb inside to ruin our gold. It's also killing like 35,000 people, which is like, that'd be, that's the largest terrorist activity or single terrorist um, act in history, I think is what that would end up being. Like, that's a lot of death. Uh, And... Um, Goldfinger's like come along with me you can watch this whole thing happen and uh, remember if you try to interfere then I'm just going to detonate this dirty bomb somewhere else in the United States like I'm blowing this thing up Right. at least if I do it where I'm about to do it it'll be beneficial to me the gold is the only thing that gets hurt if I blow it up in the middle of New York City it's not just going to be the gold um so which is gross logic there you go and so then oh in between when they go to this thing gets set in motion and bond gets the whole story he meets up with pussy galore they probably do it but also talk about because He's like, do you know what you're going to be doing? Like, do you think that Delta 9 is going to cause all these people to wake up in 24 hours? Or are you aware that you're going to be literally wiping out thousands and thousands of innocent people? And uh, we don't see that conversation, but that has to be what happens. (laughs) So then we see them take off all the ladies up in their planes. And then they corrupt us. And everybody falls over. And then you're like, oh no, everybody's dead. But I was like, nah. They called out. They phoned home. Because one of the people that you see is Felix Leiter outside the right. Fort Knox, inside outside of his car. He's inside of his car, but he wilts outside of his car. I mean, they all really just do very exaggerated, like, falls. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, Goldfinger and Bond and all of his henchmen roll in with gas masks on and then head into uh, Fort Knox. They blow the gate. They go through. Use a laser to cut their way through the metal rolling gates. That's right, yes. And they head uh, into the vault. Um, Inside the vault, uh, uh, the henchman Kish handcuffs bond to the bomb which is always fun i like being handcuffed to a dirty bomb <laughs> it's hot and meanwhile though we start seeing all like we see felix wake up mm-hmm. we see everybody start getting up so we know that something's happened where they've switched the canisters with something non-toxic and it was all a, a show really a show and uh so they start coming in coming in and uh go figure locks himself into the vault in the vault with bond odd job and i guess kish is in there pussy's mm-hmm. still outside she was flying so yeah right. she's not involved in any of this um there's like the army's coming and then goldfinger strikes out and he kills the yeah scientist right, right. Like, he does and then he winds up 
very and again he's a smart guy he, yeah. he's dressed like an American general yes that's and right he runs out into the American troops moving forward and saying you know they're that way right. they went that way or whatever yeah um Kish attempts to disarm the bomb because he doesn't want to die in here uh, odd job picks him up and throws him mm-hmm. because he doesn't care if he dies because he feels nothing and uh bomb gets free with his key uh odd job beats the shit out of him this is when you're like hey is james bond also a replicant because he's getting hit by that dude that crushed a fucking golf ball with his hands and he's not coughing up blood i I like how (laughs) vulnerable he is though because it's just like oh no you don't stand a chance this is not something and that was an element in the book too uh in the book, he's constantly going, do I have my gun on me? Because I can't stop this guy with my bare hands. Yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah. Yes, right. And uh, apparently, yes, yeah, so if you, how does Oddjob die? Uh, electrocution? Which is a theme in this movie. <laughs> he throws his hat. Oh, yeah. And Mrs. Bond. Bond picks it up. And then suddenly, for the first time, the entire fight, odd job looks like, oh, wait, you know, like, like you, oh, you know. no, he has my special power. <laughs> and he winds up throwing it into a set of electrical. Um, that we knew that the fences were electric, right. and this is an electric fence. That's right. So he throws it into there, and then what odd job tries to get it off, right? right? And then he gets, Bond grabs this electrical cord that had fallen down beside him, that was sawn through by the, the hat previously. And puts it against the bars with it, the hat stuff. Oh, gotcha. And apparently, um, the actor himself, because he didn't have a stuntman, Harold Sakata didn't have a stuntman. He's like, so I, I, you know, I'm a wrestler. I do this all the time. He got really badly burned. Oh, no. And not permanently, in a way, but oh, he good. did with these showers of sparks and everything that were coming down. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and he held on he to it. was also not wearing like it's the only part in the movie really where he doesn't have his hat on. Right. So his face is just exposed. And so he he turns around and does like a deadfall flat on his face, which is astounding given how hard that floor is. Yeah. Um. And so Guy Hamilton saw that and then saw that he'd been burned, and it's like, "Are you okay?" It's like, "Yes." Well, why didn't you let go of the hat? He's like, "You didn't say cut," because he was like so focused on. I'm an actor now. I'm acting. Well, he's there to do his job. Right. And his job is to do what he's doing until then. Compared to having people crash chairs over your head or being thrown out of the ring, this was. But he also knows how to take direction. Right. Because all of that is also direction. You seem to just like, this is the loveliest guy. I bet. Oh, but. Yeah. But you gotta. Now you gotta advocate for yourself a little bit, buddy. Like, if it's not. If it's. If you're in pain, Mm -hmm. you can call cut. Right. You can do it. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so then, uh, Bond can, like, he can force, the, he forces the lock off the bomb, but he can't disarm it. And then the U.S. military comes in, and then a nuclear scientist runs in and is able to disarm the bomb with 007 seconds left. Because, <laughs> of course. Which means that the most I could have done was 999 seconds. Like, that's what that timer was. <laughs> that doesn't seem like enough seconds, but okay. Uh, but it was also, remember, 
It's inside of Fort Knox. Yeah. So if anything, it would cause a huge sinkhole, but you would have more than enough time to get away if you were in helicopters or in Pussy Galore's flying circus of airplanes. Yes. Speaking of Pussy Galore, the final scene, really, is Bond flying to the White House for accommodations and accolades. And uh, I don't remember... Goldfinger and Pussy Galore show up. Right. And I can't remember if Goldfinger still thinks Pussy's on his side or not. No, no, he does not. No, he couldn't. He's aware that she's he, because all these people because did the, not fall that's asleep. Because they didn't okay. die, right? And, and fall asleep. Even, um, die. Even, he expected uh, them to die. <laughs> <laughs> even uh, when Felix Leiter goes, how did you get Miss Galore, I think he calls her, yes, to... Uh, to change your mind, and and he has like this. I think I appeal to her maternal instincts or something really silly like that. But um, yeah, they're on the airplane, and there's a scene. It harkens back to an earlier scene where Pussy Galore is threatening Bond with a gun. He yes. goes, "You know better than that. You're not going to shoot that gun." Because that'll depressurize the cabin. That's right, yeah. And yes. he gives her that warning, and she knows that she's not going to shoot the gun, right. so she just sort of marches It was off also on. like a forty-five. It would have right. taken, like, both of them would be sucked out of the fucking plane. Yes. So, that's what happens, though. There's a fight. Goldfinger's revolver goes off. And in and a scene that was terrifying to me as a little Oh, kid, yeah? Uh, Goldfinger is sucked through the, wall, the huge window man. of that plane. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. Sucked through the window of that plane. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of horrifying. And then yeah. uh, James Bond and Pussy Galore parachute themselves to safety before it crashes into the sea against. And then they're in the nothing. beautiful, beautiful uh, mountains. And uh, I think one of them was it. One of them goes to wave down lighters. Ziggler goes. To oh, to she doesn't. Lighters thing, and he's lighters like, this helicopter. Is time to and he's like, yeah, this is the time to rescue them. And they, uh, well, he pulls the parachute over them, and then they're gonna have sex in a really inappropriate time yeah. and place. The end. Okay, Yay. so overall, what did you think of it? I really, it was fun. Well, I like a heist. It's kind mm. of a heist it movie. Is a heist movie. It's a, certainly a caper film. It, the thing fucking moves at a clip. Like, every three seconds, we're in a new goddamn scene. It's wild. Um, didn't know James Bond was so terrible at his damn job. But, other than that, 10 out of 10. It's so fun. I want to watch the other ones now. <laughs> yeah, it's... There's a... I always thought that they would be... I don't know why. I legitimately don't know why. The word boring definitely came to mind, though. And they're not. It's, or this wasn't. Um, I don't know, because sometimes things that are older than me, I think, are boring. That's just... Thank you. <laughs> it's just true of... You're boring. I think that's you? true of everybody. Um, I think that there is this bias that we have of, if it's older than I am, then I'm not going to like it because it wasn't made in my lifetime. So it's not for me. There's a little bit of that, I think. Um, but no, this was super fun. And I didn't think he was too rapey. I mm -hmm. was worried, but I didn't. Uh, because I think if any of those women were like, 
I no, get off me. He would have been like, all right, cool. And I will go find somebody else because I don't think he has a problem with that. Like he never, his use of sexuality never to me felt like he was making power moves. I think he was, he's just legitimately into all of the ladies. Well, there's a very Every funny scene. single lady. He first meets Pussy Galore on the airplane. Uh-huh. And he introduces her and the, I guess, Indonesian waitress with the bare midriff. Yes, Miley. Miley. And then uh, when she says, well, don't bother with your, your charms or I'm immune to them. And she walks off and he just turns in his swivel chair and goes, oh, Miley. Miley, yes, how are you? He literally, yeah, he's just literally like, okay, well, who else is here with boobs? <laughs> right. Because really, if you've got boobs... I'm on board. And speaking of <laughs> boobs, Honor Blackman. She knows judo. What are you going to say about she her? She has boobs. <laughs> she does and have they're boobs. they're constantly on display in this <laughs> But not... Not in a... They're not put on display in a kind of a vulgar way. No. She she, she yeah. has a form... She has a shape that you're not going to be able to hide them. Also, Playtex and the conical fucking bras of the time were doing mm. a lot of that work. You're going to notice that she is, uh, has breasts because they are attached to her body. They're not right. going anywhere. Well, but she wore, like, she was wearing high necked things. She wasn't wearing a lot of skimpy no, stuff, which a, I appreciated. She has. Not that I don't, you know, wear skimpy stuff if you like it, but it would have felt. Right. She has, she's a pilot. She right. should be wearing flight wear or, you know, right. a suit or whatever. And she is for the most part. Honor Blackman has a spectacular figure. I mean, she very much typifies the kind of idea of a Bond girl, along with Ursula Andress and some of the the other actresses, this sort of, like, very curvy um, woman. When she was doing Kathy Gale in The Avengers, uh-huh. the whole reason why she learned judo yeah. is because they wanted her to have, like, first they wanted her to pack a gun. They had to wear a skirt. She pulls up the skirt to get her holster. And she's like, well, then I'm just flashing men every time. Every time I'm trying to pull a gun. Yeah, okay, that's well, dumb. what about a shoulder holster? She can't use a shoulder holster. Her she body is... hard to... Yes, no, I couldn't use a shoulder holster, really? holster either. There are shapes of the female body that don't provide for that. And that was her reasoning behind it. It's just like, uh, no. she, uh, um, Behind her back. Well... They could have done something like that. And what they wound up doing is instead, well, what if you know judo? And they brought in... Right. A actual uh, commander with the French Resistance, I think, a judo instructor to teach her, and she talked about doing this scene with Sean Connery, where yeah. they're just throwing each other. They around. they incorporated more of that into this once she had been hired. Right. That wasn't original to no, the it work. Original it was Trump. original to Honor Blackman. It was but, it yeah, was because her. she had a lot of popularity coming out of there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how she did that, and then a few years later. Um, I love Diana that her Rick. real name is Honor and she played a woman named Pussy. Like, that's. <laughs> she's. That's very, like peak fucking feminism. She's very funny in actual life because she is a lot like her character in that when she's asked, How do you feel about being famous for a person who named Pussy Glory? And she's like, How is that insulting? How is that insulting? How is that insulting to How me? How is that insulting? <laughs> right. Also, the character that I played mm-hmm. was a smart woman with a good skill set right who was named by her parents that's not on right. her and even if this is her nickname um it's just yeah she she was a lot yeah, you're basically telling me that i should be ashamed of my vagina and i'm mm-hmm. not doing right. that it's like it, what 
it's a, it's a very I don't know how prevalent the use of pussy was as a a slang term at that time for a vagina in England mind in you. England right so it might have been something completely different I know that we have the issue with uh, you'll forgive me for using the word fag oh yes because in England right. that means you're smoking a cigarette right and we'll come up and ask you if you have a fag and it's like wait what what and, yeah and again so there's words that don't but there, that's that's never extended there's mm-hmm. a the, to the two syllable like that's right. not it that's the full word right is fag um no well, i mean and the use of cunt is way more right here it's the word you can't use. here it's the word you can't i use. remember listening to a a radio talk show host once talk about you know but in the uk woman. it is a it's right. like it's bloody it's the it's a common it's 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 a vulgar word right. but it's not it's not like punching a woman in the face which no. is what it feels like here if you were right. to call somebody that you know, when I was listening to this, these uh, radio DJs commenting on it, they're talking about what's the one thing you could not forgive your partner doing, and using that word was the thing. Wow! And it's like I could not forgive my partner if they use that word, and the male guy, the part, part of this team, was like, "That's the that's when you don't care anymore. You can't use that word on anybody that you ever will." It'd say, be like I love using you the N word right. against somebody. Like it is. It's horrible. It is dehumanizing. Again, it's really strange. How, I don't feel that right. way about that word. I don't love that word. I'm. St- I, I I like that word now in the more British version mm-hmm. of it because there's some behaviors by some people, right. and that is the only word I can think of to use for that. <laughs> They're bad behaviors and bad people. Um. And and I like the sound of it for that. Uh-huh. If you tried to use that term on me about my physical person or like right. my parts, uh-huh. oh no, I'm going to uppercut you in the face. <laughs> Don't you know that's not we're not doing that. Uh which is interesting. So yeah, it, it's uh Well, yeah. I'm really glad that you, you It was really fun. It was really fun. It was thrilling. It. Yeah. It, it it does it there's it so fucking much, it moved, man. I was just like There's so much in this film that <laughs> it will not just for the Bond series, but in general, this movie is like where so, the the pre credit sequence was developed. The whole the, the tricked out uh-huh. gadgets with the car uh-huh. that was not a part of the first two films. Right. A lot this of is sort stuff. of the birth birthplace of right. the stuff that culturally we think of as Bond. But also as you mentioned, when you're watching any action film now, yeah, the editing style is something yeah. to emulate. Now, mind you, I think action well, I films felt... take way too long nowadays. But yes, this was to the point. Mm-hmm. Like these people also were fighting like they wanted to not be fighting anymore. Right. They wanted to end it quickly, like a like a Jason Bourne right. fight, as opposed to yeah some of these other fights that are just like a choreographed dance that goes on for twenty minutes, and you're like. Are we done yet? How are you lifting your arms? Right. Like, you both have concussions. Oh, Please stop. The <laughs> Alf Joint, who plays the guy who tries to use the sapper on Bond in the, the pre-credit scene, uh-huh. he takes the spill, and you can see him hit his head uh-huh. hard yeah. when he goes down. Yeah. And then he gets back up, and you're like, holy cow, that guy really, that, that guy got hurt. Yeah. And there are times when you're watching, and I, I talked to one of our coworkers about this, you're watching stunts in older movies, like when we watch The Thing, yeah, the fire stunt, where you're like, how did anybody survive this stunt? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is crazy. This how is very dangerous. dangerous okay. Asbestos. Mm. Jesus. 
<laughs> All right. So next week, mm-hmm. Doctor Afternoon, nineteen seventy-five. Uh, I thought this was a war movie, y'all. It's not a war movie. No, it's it's not. not a war movie. So we're gonna watch that. I'm very excited about it. Uh, once you told me what it was about, I was like, ooh. But it's a film that was ahead of its time. Yeah, it I don't know like... how it treats the subject matter. Yeah. Uh, which is what I'm a little bit concerned about, but just the fact that you address that subject matter. Yes. So if you don't know, this movie is about a man who performs a bank heist Mm -hmm. in order to get money for his... Boyfriend's sex change operation. Yeah. We'll we'll say his partner's... Partner's sex change operation. Oh, I'm sorry. Gender affirming surgery right. and, is, and I'm, I'm is the, the terminology that we're going to use here. There okay. will be all kinds of terminology that was 1975 and me if specific. I stumble over it because I'm. Yeah. <laughs> this is my generation. I was yeah. like, 1969 is when I was born, so I like to have all these words stuck yeah. in my head. It's like, oh, we don't call people homeless anymore. Nope. Shit. Unhoused. Absolutely yes. Bad. Unhoused people. They yeah. realize that there's been 20 years of stigma to homelessness. Yeah. And and it's like, okay, so it's not time to turn this over and, and do something else. Yeah, because talking about people by their deficiency and by a deficiency that capitalism led to, mm, not right. any personal, it's not, it's not a disease. They didn't catch homelessness. Mm, like, it's not right. a thing that they did. It's not a character flaw or yeah right. anyways so yes that is okay, good. Uh, but yeah so i'm excited to watch that so that's up next um until then do you have anything that you wanted to recommend to well, our I saw a film, listeners and again this isn't going to be for everybody um two of you pay attention yes it's, <laughs> i saw a film not too long ago that was called mad god I'm oh, not recommending that film. Okay. okay I'm like, are you really going to do film, this right now? It's, it was done in stop motion animation by a person that I'd actually met and had. His name is Phil Tippett. He's right. very, very famous. Very famous and very talented. And uh, this is, it, it was just really bizarre and it was just a little bit too much for me. Uh-huh. I could not take how. And I opted not to right. even try because I was like, Ugh, I really kind of. Bizarre, this film got, and it's very violent, very strange. Um, but I like stop motion animation as a medium. So, when I, after having seen Mad God, I saw House the other, uh, well, I think a couple of days ago. House, the house. on it's Netflix. the house on Netflix it's from 2022. It's uh, beautiful. It is. I really love right. the animation style. I did not. I didn't stick around to watch it. Though. No, there. It's an anthology, so there's three different segments. Okay. The first one is for people who like ghost stories. It's like Mr. James. It's very, in a way, in that these. It's about a family that comes into the possession of a house, and apparently, all three directors uh, for this story were told they could do anything they liked to, but it had to center around this house. And it becomes this... These stories are about homeownership and the perils of homeownership and oh, how much it just sort of saps your life from you at, at It times. can, yeah. Um, and so... The and first yet, one, all I want. <laughs> right. 
The first one is about a family that moves into a home that begins taking over their lives, the, the running of it. The second film then goes from being about, well, humans or humans representing. Uh, they're actually made of felt, I think. The second story is about a rat, an animated rat, and it's animated animal characters very much like the Wind in the Willows or something. And the animated rat is a house flipper who buys the house and is trying to turn it over, only it's infested with bugs. And if you have an issue with bugs, this is a nightmare. Not, not the one, not, not for you. It's almost as if, if the first story is M.R. James, this one's more like Robert Aikman, in that you don't really understand what's going on, but you just know that you're really uncomfortable with it, whatever it is. There's like a vaguely sinister kind of arc all throughout this story. And, um, and that one works really well, too, as, as far as being disquieting. And the third segment is cats. It's a cat. We have and one. Her, the, the house is now on a floodplain or something, and the water's rising around it, and she's trying to preserve the house with her other two housemates, neither of which pays in cash. One gets her fish, and one gives her crystals so she can get in touch with her chi energy. Um, it's very funny. The last one's actually funny. It's a good idea for that to be the way to end. To end it, right. Yeah. Are sinister and very sinister. And then it gets this sort of very sweet kind of ending. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting film. Stop motion animation is a beautiful medium. Um, I recommend it. I don't know how much longer it'll be on Netflix. I was putting it off for the longest time because I'm like, I just saw Mad Dog. brand new. It's, isn't it from this year? Yeah, it's and it's a Netflix film, so hopefully it stays on Netflix. But, you know, mm. if Netflix needs to write off losses, I guess it could disappear at any time. So do you have something to recommend? I've been reading a book. Uh-huh. I haven't watched anything. Watching Old Top Chefs, but we talked about that the other day. Comfort watching. Um, I'm reading a very good book, but it is niche. So... Uh, I, I just recommended a stop-motion animation film. I'm not sure how much more niche you can get. Okay, well, that feels like uh, um, a challenge, and okay. the challenge is accepted. As I offer up the book Faking with Benefits by Lily Gold, it is a contemporary romance available now on Kindle Unlimited about a reverse harem, friends to lovers, fake dating situation it's very good i've done almost all those things for when you want three boyfriends oh my give God. me all three boyfriends please so that's that that book i'm almost done with it i'll probably finish it tonight uh it's very good the writing is good very good the characters are distinctive which is good because there are four of them instead of just two when there are three guys sometimes it's hard to tell Mm-hmm. The difference. <laughs> but these guys are all very different, which is good. The writing is quite good, as I said, very sharp. Um, tackles some interesting themes. And when they all end up together, I'm going to be very excited because this is a romance. So they will all end up together. We're in the forgiveness piece. I'm in like the I'm in the home stretch. I have like 10% more of the book to go. And it might be epilogue, which hopefully will involve babies because I hate when the epilogue involves a baby. Anyways, it's called Faking with Benefits, and it's super fun and good. Okay, good. And it won't take you very long to read, probably. I don't know how fast you read, but 
Me? No, just oh, whoever I'm talking to. Are you going to read this book? I don't know. Maybe this book was written after you were born. Now oh. answer the question. <laughs> oh, well, I am just now getting through The Devil in White City. <gasps> I want to watch. I want to read it. In, Are you uh, audio audibling it? Um, and so. Because Keanu Reeves is going to be in the show, you guys. Right. So I'm actually listening to it. Now, mind you, it's a book. I that was bought written. it. I have it on my Kindle right. or my. my iBooks, it's not iBooks, it's just books now. Apple Books. I don't know. It was a book so written a number of years ago, mm-hmm. yes, and it happens to when be... When we were working at Cody's. Right, and it also happens to be a book about the turn of the last century. Yes. So yeah, no, it's going to have some... it fits into... My... I mean, it's also, isn't the serial killer a killer of women? I haven't even got to the serial killer part yet. Oh, it's, Jesus. it's very interesting. There's a lot of World Fair stuff in there. It's a real stuff, interesting book. But I understand. It's the kind of thing that interests me, anyhow. Oh yeah, for sure. That's why I was right. I was like, ooh, everything about this is super yeah. interesting to me. Uh, so yeah, so that's uh, they're, they're making that Hulu is making that into a show with Keanu Reeves. It's going to be his first television mm. um, spectacular. I'm excited. So awesome books. Read them. Movies. Watch them, especially if they were made over the span of thousands of hours by moving tiny frames yes. one at a time. Uh, so next week, is. Dog Day Afternoon, okay. starring... Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Just... It's... I, um, I also want to see this because I realize... Al Pacino is one of those actors, and we got it when we were going through the 70s. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman. Yes. And John Voight. Yeah. I, th- I thought we, in my head that this might be um, mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman in the picture that I have in my head of the um, thing, but now I'm seeing Al Pacino. Uh, well, it's we see them imitated. We see, yeah. like, Mad yeah, TV yeah. or Saturday Night Live doing these Or the Simpsons, so to right. make it even less clear who this is, because it's just a haircut. Right. <laughs> right. And so you don't get to see when we were watching Midnight Cowboy or we were watching so good. Deliverance. It's like, why was Burt Reynolds a thing? And then you watch Deliverance and go, oh, damn, that was why he was a thing. Yeah. That's it's currently on HBO Max. Right. So for everybody. But we actually, it's currently on HBO Max. We recorded a bunch of stuff from TCM, which is a good place to get stuff. Um. Yeah. So. So here's, this is on the poster. So it's not, it's, this'll be the tagline, really, but it's sentences. The robbery should have taken 10 minutes. Four hours later, the bank was like a circus sideshow. Eight hours later, it was the hottest thing on live TV. 12 hours later, it was all history. And it's all true. So this'll be a pretty close to time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not one-to-one because it's a 12-hour time period. And who's the director? But uh, I don't know, it doesn't say. It says Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, they don't tell you things like that. Sydney Lumet. 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 I'm gonna call him Lumet, like when I pronounce as aspartame as aspartame, because it's fancy. Fancy. Now this is a 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm excited. All right. It's also two hours and ten minutes from 1975, so. I might have to stretch before we watch it because uh, some of these movies are fucking Sydney Lumet dramatic. Is, well, <laughs> this is the guy who brought you Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, 
And uh, the pawnbroker fail safe the hill. I haven't seen any of those. The appointment, the Anderson tapes. Good lord, child's play. Murder on the Orient Express. The Not the Chucky Charles Play. You saw Network. I did see Network. And you saw Equus. I have seen Equus. The verdict we haven't seen yet. Not we yet, but we have it on our thing. Right. All right. That's going to do it for today. If you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar, or you can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Until next time, I remind you, please, please take your medicine. And we remind you, better late than never. never.